the Agile brand. Welcome to season six of the Agile brand, where we discuss marketing technology and customer experience trends, insights, and ideas with enterprise and technology platform leaders. We focus on the people, processes, data, and platforms that make brands successful, scalable, customer-focused, and sustainable. This is what makes an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advising Fortune 1000 brands on MarTech, marketing operations, and CX, best-selling author and speaker. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that my latest book, Priority is Action, Seven Principles for Better Strategies, Decisions, and Outcomes, is now available. In it, I give ideas and insights for leaders and teams that need to make meaningful progress on their priorities. After all, our priorities are what we do, not what we say we'd like to do. You can find Priority is Action on Amazon or learn more on my website, gregkilstrom.com. Now let's get on to the show. Today, we're going to talk about doing data collection right by also exploring how to do it wrong and what brands need to pay attention to when they're collecting information to power personalized experiences, marketing efforts, and many other aspects of the business. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Sean Falconer, Head of Marketing and Developer Relations at Skyflow. Sean, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for uh, that lovely introduction, Greg. Yeah, of course. Uh, why don't we get started with you giving a little background on yourself and, and your role at Skyflow? Sure. So I grew up in, in Canada, and uh, but I've been uh, living in the United States now for about 13 years. So I guess I'm uh, like an expat from Canada now living in the US. And then I spent you know, the better part of a decade in university through my 20s uh, doing three different degrees in computer science. So I'm formally trained uh, engineer. But and then also a postdoc in bioinformatics, which is what led me to the U.S. And I was on this path essentially of being a professor or an academic of some sort. But while I was doing my postdoc, I actually started a company. And after a year of my postdoc, we we had raised some some initial capital for that company, and I left the world of academics to do that full time as the CTO and co-founder of that company, which I ran for seven years, and then we sold it. After that, I joined Google. And there I led developer relations and developer experience teams for four different API products. And after about four years at Google, I was starting to feel the itch of or pull back to more of the startup world. And that led me to joining Skyflow about two years ago, where I'm now the head of marketing and developer relations. For those of you who aren't aware of what Skyflow is, Skyflow is a data privacy vault. And essentially what that gives you is isolation, protection, and governance over sensitive customer data. So our customers use us to essentially address issues like PII management for highly regulated industries like fintech and health tech, solve problems like data residency and other compliance challenges, as well as being able to do essentially privacy safe analytics, data science, and LLM training. Great, great. Thanks, thanks for that background. So today we're going to talk about, as I mentioned at the top of the show, how to do data collection right. And you know, we'll, we'll talk about the, the right way to do things in a, in a few minutes, but let's start by talking in a little more uh, depth than usual maybe about you know, what, what exactly is, is happening in general. So first thing, you know, consumer data privacy seems to be getting a lot more attention lately from a number of different perspectives, but there have been issues as well as um, advocates for consumer data privacy for, for decades. 
how would you describe the current customer data privacy landscape, whether because of uh, or in spite of all the talk, uh, you know, data breaches and, and everything that have happened so far? Yeah, so it's a good question. I think the good news is that like people in terms of like consumers are much more aware about their personal privacy rights than they were, say, 10 years ago. And, you know, if you look at sort of early social media or ad tech, there was a whole stream of essentially companies that were really monetizing by gobbling up personal data and then kind of like converting it into cash. And there was this, you know, I think growing sentiment at that time that from from some of the leaders of those companies that like, you know, privacy is dead, everything, you know, people are going to put everything online, no one, no one really cares anymore. We're just going to, you know, uh, have all of our personal information out there and, and uh, your personal privacy is, you know, less less important. But I think that people eventually sort of woke up to those, you know, wild west uh, days of data. (laughs) And also with the introduction of GDPR in 2018, that woke a lot of people up as well as a lot of companies. And it's become sort of like a forcing function for people to, to, to realize and care about this. But I think it's like a natural thing that you see with any, you know, innovation that happens or any types of trends, you know, there's, there's this like expansion and then we kind of go too far in one direction. And then there's like a contraction where maybe we could track too much. You know, I think you see the similar things with, with um, market dynamics when it comes to like investing and so forth. Like a couple of years ago, companies got super overvalued and then there was a huge contra- contraction. And now companies probably for the last year and a half or so are, are probably undervalued. And at some point it kind of bounces back. And I think we've gone through a similar place when it comes to privacy. And but people are now a lot more aware of it. And if you look at the world of like LLMs and generative AI, which is you know a new sort of landscape for many people, the good thing there is people are asking a lot of the right questions and have the right concerns when it comes to privacy. Now, the on the sort of flip side of that, the bad news is that data breaches aren't going away. They're getting worse. There was actually an MIT report by Dr. Madnick that came out recently that showed that data breaches are essentially an epidemic. Like there's 2.6 billion personal records that have been exposed in the last two years. So clearly the industry is really failing to address this problem. And I think a lot of this has to do with the fundamental flaw about our understanding of the nature of data, which goes back to essentially like the 1980s. So when we were first building software that was going to be used in in businesses back in the early 80s when we were essentially going from a completely paper world to somewhat digitalized world, the original software that companies were using, essentially all data was treated as ones and zeros. It was all essentially the same because it didn't really matter. Essentially, the data that you were collecting uh, about like customers or about employees, you were managing that essentially in a self-contained box because we were in a disconnected world that existed pre- previous to the internet. So even if somebody had bad intention, they essentially had to like break into your company and physically steal a box or the hard drive to get access to the information. And the world has changed a lot since then. We've kind of taken that same way of thinking where we've treated essentially, you know, someone's social security number or someone's, you know, healthcare information the same way as, you know, a click on the website. We've done that now to the scale of the cloud and to millions, if not billions of, um, of consumers. And that causes major, major problems. We end up with this huge data replication problem where instead of having one copy of someone's you know, phone number or home address, we end up with thousands of different copies and then we need to have to protect all those different locations. And then because of, I think, this fundamental 
you know, misunderstanding about the nature of data, we end up with what I call sort of the, the, the wine and the cheese problem. So think of it like if you had in your house, or, or so actually the, the diamond and the cheese problem. So think of it in your house, let's say that you had diamonds and you had you know, cheese. Then when I have essentially people over to my house, I want them to have you know, access to my cheese because I want to be a good host. So they should be able to help themselves to the cheese. They can go in the refrigerator, cut themselves off some cheese, have a nice little snack. But if I also have diamonds, you know, I want to limit essentially the access to right. my diamonds. I don't want just anybody, even if they're a good friend, I don't necessarily want them having access to my diamonds, right? But if I store the diamonds in the same place as my cheese in my refrigerator, then it's very hard for me to control access to the diamonds in a different way than I control access to cheese. And that's essentially the problem that we have when it comes to data when we treat it all the same. We put essentially personal information about people in the same location as all other transactional and application data. And then it becomes very, very difficult for us to essentially separate the rules of engagement for how to access that information. And I think that's essentially what leads to all of these different problems that we have uh, when it comes to data breaches. Yeah. Well, you know, and so, you know, companies that you mentioned GDPR, you know, companies that have been dealing, doing business in the EU have been working with GDPR um, for many years. There's similar uh, regulations both here in the States for in a few States as, as well as some other countries. So, you know, in some ways, you know, there's also in healthcare, there's HIPAA and, you know, financial services has its own, um, you know, compliance issues and yet we're still here. Right. So, yeah. and, and even, you know, even healthcare companies and financial services companies are having these data breaches. So, you know, what, what's still like the concept seems like any CIO, CTO, you know, any any marketer at an organization can intellectually wrap their heads around this stuff. But you know, why why do we why are we still faced with all with the the diamonds and the cheese, so to speak? So I think that part of it is because we haven't really realized that something like PII or customer, basically personal data about a customer, is something that's different. Um, yeah. We've built these systems where we've essentially treated it the same as other data. And then now we've we've essentially scaled those systems to a place where we have um, this huge data sprawl problem. And then it becomes kind of like, it feels like an intractable problem to kind of uh, disentangle the mess that we've created. Yeah. You've, you now have you know, 10,000 copies of someone's you know, home address across multiple databases, log files, backups, and so forth. So what ends up happening is companies end up buying a lot of like point solutions to try to stitch together some, some type of solution to this problem. But because they're not really solving the fundamental issue, it's a little bit like putting a Band-Aid on like a broken arm. It's not going to like reset the arm. Like you're, you're yeah. sort of, you know, you're trying to um, treat some of those symptoms, but not actually fundamentally like solve the disease. And yeah. I think that's why we end up, because if, if, imagine if you had instead of like one copy of your passport that you kept in a secure location in your in your home, you had ten thousand copies of your passport that you put <laughs> right. all over the place, and then you tried to protect all those locations. Like that's a really hard problem to solve, and that's essentially what we do with data. So until we kind of take a step back and take more of a first principles approach to this problem, it's gonna it's gonna be very hard for a lot of businesses to address it. I hope you're enjoying the first part of the show, and I want to invite you to check out another podcast from the Agile brand. It's called B2B Agility, and it's hosted by me, Greg Kilstrom. 
The B2B Agility Podcast looks at the factors that drive success in B2B marketing with a focus on the people, processes, data, and platforms that make B2B brands stand out and thrive in a competitive marketplace. You can find B2B Agility on this podcast platform or wherever you normally listen. Before we get back to the show, I just wanted to remind you to hit the follow or subscribe button on your app to make sure you get notified when new episodes of this show are available. Now let's get back to the show. And so, you know, to, to go back to some of the regulations, you know, GDPR, California has CCPA, you know, there's been talk for quite a while about Google eventually deprecating third-party cookies. Apple and Microsoft have made some strides there uh, already. Do you think that these things are going to have a, a meaningful impact or enough of an impact on some of these things? Or, you know, is, it, is, there, is there a lot else needed here? So I think the good thing about some of the regulations and some of the changes that are being made is it does create visibility about the yeah. issue and it helps create like a forcing function for companies to care, which is good. Like, you know, I think yeah. we've seen from GDPR and from some of the other regulations that now have come up, like there's over a hundred different privacy regulations around the world now. It has made this more of a priority for companies, which is a good thing. And, you know, the headlines around fines and stuff also becomes a certain, you know, forcing function for people to do something. But I think when it comes to compliance, like compliance is really like a baseline, like tons of companies that are technically compliant still have data breaches. So just because you're compliant to HIPAA or PCI or some other type of regulation doesn't necessarily mean that you still have best in class security It's kind of like you're you've checked off some level right. of you know privacy and security but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have the best in the world so i think one of the big things that i would love to see us do as an industry is have more education when it comes to you know engineering talent around privacy and security like i mentioned at the start of the show i spent a decade in university but my only security i had zero privacy training whatsoever through 10 years of schooling and the only security training I really had was like one undergrad course in, in, in encryption. So I think it's very important that every engineer that is building a lot of these systems has some base level understanding of what you know good means when it comes to privacy and security and why this is important and a basic understanding of data protection methods and understand that encryption isn't always enough and that there's differences between tokenization and encryption and why you shouldn't make 10,000 copies of someone's social security number and that there's right. existing technology out there that can help solve these problems. But there's just a lack of education when it comes to a lot of the complexities around this. And I think what ends up happening because we don't have the education and the understanding is people think that they can really just like DIY solutions to this and they don't realize how complicated it gets and how hard it is to actually solve. Yeah. So how, how then the the organizations that are doing it well you know what is it a philosophical thing is it a you know is it an overall approach like how how are those brands that are doing this well thinking about data privacy in in the, in the current landscape so i think there's there's a couple of things one is that it's a big part of the culture of the company so i think there's historically for companies that have created um privacy functions if you don't do it as really part of the cultural identity of the company and make it everybody's responsibility to uh, prioritize privacy and security and work with the privacy function and understand the value there, then it could create friction within the company where 
the, those functions feel like the office of no, and they stop you <laughs> from being able to do your job. Right. So you don't want that. So I think that's like one of the, the fundamental issues that you need to address. And then the other thing is that when it comes to sort of the technology that's involved, if you look at some of the top companies in the world that have done a good job in terms of from a, like a security perspective of actually protecting data, companies like Apple, uh, Netflix, Goldman Sachs, and so forth, they took a real first principles approach to how they address this problem. And they pioneered a technology known as the Zero Trust PII Data Privacy Vault. And it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, where they recognize that PII or customer data is something special and it needs to be treated differently. And it has to have essentially specialized technology developed for the secure handling of it and secure use of that information. So they created these vault architectures where they moved their customer data into those vaults that gave them isolation protection and governance over the data. And it effectively like de-scoped or de-risked the rest of their systems from actually handling any of the raw sensitive mm. data. So they, you're, you're creating essentially an isolated infrastructure to store your customer data, creating a single source of truth that's outside of your existing systems. And this helps stop a lot of the data sprawl problems that we that I was mentioning. And also it becomes a lot simpler to essentially govern access to data because you have essentially this like protected environment that is dedicated to allow to storing the data and actually the use of the data rather than having it sort of intermixed with everything else. It's the same idea of you know putting your diamonds in a safe in your home or in some sort of vault versus having them in your refrigerator with your cheese. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I might, I might borrow that, uh, <laughs> that, that uh, anecdote at at some point. Um, but I think that's a good, that's a good way to paint the, the picture there. Um, so la- last thing I wanted to talk about with you, you know, we've got a lot of marketers and and customer experience professionals listening to this show. Wanted to talk a little bit about, you know. They may not be directly responsible for like data policies or, or things like that, but certainly data comes into play in, in a lot of meaningful ways. And you know, one of those is in personalizing, you know, whether it's content experiences, all all of the above. And so, you know, there's there's this idea that, you know, the more we can know about a customer, the more we can personalize their experience. But in practice, that you can know a lot about your customer that is meaningless for the things that are relevant to your business. And just simply having more information doesn't necessarily um, help you understand what you need to know as a brand. You know, if you sell shoes, it doesn't necessarily help you if you know what they like to cook, for instance, or, or something like that. Knowing that, you know, there's a little bit of a risk to, you know, every piece of information that you collect about your customers, maybe what they like to cook is not the riskiest, but you know, there, there seems to be a, a slight cost to data collection in, in some ways, even from a trust perspective, how do you, you know, what, what would your advice be as far as, you know, what, what philosophy should guide, what do we collect? What data is collected? How's it managed, you know, from a, from a marketer's standpoint? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, inherently, like collecting data isn't like a, necessarily a violation of people's privacy, right? If they understand, you know, why you're collecting it, what you're doing with it, yeah. and of course, when it comes to like personalization, if if personalization actually indeed leads to a better experience, then I think people will opt into having a better experience. Like you don't need to trick them into doing it. But I think that when it comes to data collection, we all need to be thinking whether we're a marketer or we're you know a product and engineering organization or whatever it is. 
we need to be thinking around like principle of like data minimization. Like, why are we collecting this? Does this actually help us do our job better? Because I think, you know, historically we collected a lot of stuff just because we, we had the opportunity to collect it and we weren't necessarily thinking, what are we actually going to do with it? We were yeah. just kind of collecting it just in case, you know, we might need to use it later. Yeah. So I don't think that really is going to fly anymore. Uh, both from like a regulation standpoint and also from a consumer perspective. So we should be thinking about how are we actually going to use this information to do our job better or to create a better experience for the consumer. Yeah, yeah. And so what what impact does AI have on all of this stuff? I mean, certainly, uh, you know, it's it's hard to, I know every show this year we've, we've talked about it in some degree. I think it's almost a requirement and, and the show's going to air in 2024, but we're recording at, at the end of 2023. But where do you see the the positive impact of, of AI here? But also, you know, what should brands be paying attention to to AI, you know, regarding privacy and, and some of these other things we've talked about? Yeah, so I, I think that's a, a good question. I'm glad that we're hitting our, uh, you know, natural podcast AI quota. For, <laughs> right, for, for right. Mentions, at least but, one question, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think, like, on the positive note, there, I think there's huge benefits to what we're saying in AI. And we're really only starting to scratch the surface. Like the, the analogy I, I use all the time is that it really feels like the early days of the internet to me. Yeah. You know, I was only in high school at the time, but they, it, you know, there was a lot of concerns, of course, with the, the start of the internet, lots of predictions that were completely off about right. what, what it was actually, you know, what kind of impact it was going to actually have on the world. But you know, we, and we went through a phase of, you know, the pets.com era. And I think we're a little bit like that right now in the, in terms of the AI era, but it's hard to argue that the internet didn't, you know, for the most part, have a very positive impact on, on the world so far. And I think AI is also well positioned to do that. And it can have a huge benefit. I think when it comes to product experiences, making them feel, you know, we talked about personalization earlier. I think all systems, all, all products at some point in the next five to 10 years are going to be highly personalized where based on your behavior and the way you interact with them, they'll adapt to essentially behave or show you the information that you need. And th that's going to be a good thing. And there's a ton also of innovation that's going on in the health tech space around drug discovery that's leveraging these systems. It's hard to argue, like if you could cut down essentially the time to market of a drug that's going to help somebody survive some you know, terrible disease by 50%, that, that's certainly a good thing. Right. So I have, I'm very much on the positive side of, of what the impact to the AI can have on us, uh, for us. And even in the short term for, as you know, for marketers, there's huge efficiency gains. Like I use things like ChatGPT and, and Bard and other AI systems all the time to help me brainstorm ideas for, you know, social media posts and <laughs> blog yeah, posts and so yeah. forth, and, or even help, you know, improve my writing at times. So I think there's huge value. And I think anybody who's not really exploring how to leverage these systems to do your job better and more efficiently, you're probably doing yourself a disservice uh, right now because it's going to change everything. But on sort of the negative side is it is still very early and there is still a lot of unknowns when it comes to using these systems. And one of the big problems when it comes to privacy is that these generative AI systems are really designed to learn not designed to unlearn. So yeah. if any information about a customer or employee or core IP essentially is used part of the training of the model or even sometimes an inference, there's no way to really get that data back. So in the world of GDPR 
the right to be forgotten and all these other privacy regulations around the world, it's almost it's basically impossible to be compliant because you there's no row like in a database to go and delete the data. There's no row that exists in a, in a deep learning model. So once essentially the data has been vectorized and aggregated in the model, there's no way to delete it. And that has huge consequences when it comes to privacy and compliance and security. And I think we're asking a lot of the, I think privacy and security is top of mind in governance for a lot of businesses, but I haven't seen always as much of a sort of deep level thinking on this of, in terms of how do we actually control access to the information as I would like to see. And I think in order to really move beyond prototypes to production, these are problems that we have to solve. Yeah. Yeah, no, I th I, th that makes sense. Well, Sean, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, one last question before we wrap up here. Um, you've given a lot of great advice already. Um, what's maybe one piece of advice you'd have for those brands out there that, uh, you know, that listening to this, they want to be more responsible with their data and, and privacy? What, what's, a, what's one step they could take today? I think a big part of it is what I spoke to earlier around making this part of the culture of your company. You know, it's, it's, I don't think it's a nice to have anymore. It's, it's really a must have. Yeah. And if you make it part of the culture of your company, then it can actually be an enabler for you to move faster as your business scales. Because if it's a day one priority and everybody understands that this is a priority for them, then you don't run into this huge tech debt that you're going to eventually have to face as a business. And you have to try to essentially later unwind. And that's, a, I think, a place where a lot of companies have gotten themselves to. But it doesn't have to be that way. And then the last thing I would say is that privacy can also be a differentiator for your business, just like you see Apple use privacy as a, as a differentiator for their, for their business. So it can actually be a way to, to market yourself. Yeah, I love that. Well, again, I'd like to thank Sean Falconer, Head of Marketing and Developer Relations at Skyflow for joining the show. You can learn more about Sean and Skyflow by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkillstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. While you're there, check out my series of best-selling Agile brand guides covering a wide variety of marketing technology topics, or you can search for Greg Kilstrom on Amazon. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile. The Agile Brand.